episode number 12, Jim Plaxton, part 2. Welcome back to The Title Block, a podcast about Canadian theatre designers, their history, and their craft. I'm your host, Michael Cruz, and on today's episode, I finish my interview with venerable Toronto-based theatre designer Jim Plaxton. We speak about Jim's introduction of cardboard into Toronto theatre and his work on The Village of Small Huts Histories by Michael Hollingsworth. Here I am trying a hmm, unique questioning style where I refer to something incorrectly get the director's name wrong or forget a name, and Jim corrects me. It's very impressive, let me tell you. Uh, it has been a busy fall so far, so I have been unable to get episodes out on time, but I will have the next one out in the next few weeks, uh, which is uh, an interview I did with lighting designer Sholem Dolgoy. Let's pick up my chat with Jim. Uh, we began by talking about his work on Michael Hollingworth's play Strawberry Fields and Jim's solution to how to transform a highway into a field in the Berkeley Theatre upstairs space with a 12-foot grid. Jim speaks of Arcadia in the latter half of this episode, and I just wanted to say that that is the co-op in which Jim Plaxton currently lives. So that's terrific. So let's, let's just talk about the early 80s. Just for a second, is it worth discussing um, Toronto Free Theatre? There was you did a lot of work for Toronto Free Theatre in the nineteen eighties. I did some, yeah, yeah. Um, Strawberry Fields was mentioned to me as kind of an important work for them. Is that do you feel like that is a? And you won a Dora for it in eighty in one. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about the play first of all. It was at the uh, Berkeley Street upstairs. Space, That's right. right. Yeah. That's right. Um, the play was, um, as I recall, 100 years ago, mm-hmm. the play was set uh, in England. It was written, it was a British playwright. Uh, Bill Lane was the director. Mm-hmm. Um, it followed a, uh, a couple uh, who went on a bit of a tour up the M, I guess the M1, up north of London, up into the countryside Mm -hmm. so that to me uh suggests and there were there were like like many plays uh there were lots of different uh locations but it seemed to me the the freeway was uh was kind of key some of them were interior some of them were you know imagine you're on a car some of them were in plazas or shopping centers or whatever so I came up with the idea of a freeway flyover as um, as a, a main set piece. And the last scene um, happened, um, so it was a very urban-looking thing, a very um, constructive-ist thing. But the last scene of the play happened on a hillside. So how are we going to get a hillside? Are we going to 
change a freeway into a <laughs> hillside. That's right. So this is a very large cardboard structure. It was made of cardboard boxes that were glued together with uh, triple wall uh, cardboard in between that give it its strength and everything. Um, nobody believed it would work. Can't build anything like that out of cardboard, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it worked. It worked. <laughs> is this a material uh, that you had found previously, or is this the first time you I'd started been, working with it? I'd been working with uh, cardboard as, a, as an inexpensive uh, way of, say, building a flap. Mm-hmm. Because this uh, triple pack, for example, um, comes in sheets that are, I think they, they were uh, nine and a half feet wide by 12 feet long or something. So, bam, that's a flat. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is put a little um, a little bit of wood on the backside and glue it on. Easy to cut, easy to work with. Uh, cheaper than plywood, cheaper than skin ply, mm-hmm. cheaper than cotton. How thick is it? The uh, this particular triple pack, I think it's probably about five eighths. Oh, okay. You know, so it's three layers of corrugation and four layers of paper. Right. Yeah. I had seen uh, when I first started doing theater in the late eighties. There, there were people selling up to what one inch thick corrugated stuff for doing exactly that thing. But this was not really built for theater. This was something that was built for shipping. Is that right? Like it wasn't. That's uh, right. Yeah. I, I first discovered this material when I um, I needed to build some uh, costume crates, if mm-hmm. you like, uh, places to store costumes. And there were uh, ready-made um, things of that name. I guess moving companies probably had them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I discovered this actual material. Um, there was another kind of material, which was, um, the honeycomb, the actual honeycomb stuff. Mm -hmm. If you open up the inside of any hollow corridor, you'll find something similar, uh, because they just, it's a honeycomb. And I built a bridge out of this material. You can get it in any thickness you want. Um, and it comes, you know, it comes all folded up and it's all flat, kind of looks like a board, but then when you pull it out. You get a, that honeycomb structure. Right. Like an accordion uh, kind of. Like an accordion, yeah. exactly. And I built a bridge which was 40 feet long, six inches thick, plywood top and bottom, um, supported at either end. 40 feet. 40 feet with this cardboard? With the with, with pa- it was paper. actual uh, uh, craft paper. Right. That's incredible. And, and it was, uh, that, that's impossible. Right. Um, yeah. So paper and it very easy to work with and um, yeah, it's it, it's it's strong if it's if it's uh, used properly. Mm-hmm. So c- coming back to Strawberry Fields, yeah. you you built this sort of on ramp or freeway, flying freeway. What? Uh, how did it transform into the into the hillside? Yeah, there was a <clears throat> what it was. If you, you can imagine very, very simply, it was a oh about an eighteen inch thick slab. But it, you know, had curved. It was a curved thing, so it was like a freeway flyover. You go to the Gardner Expressway. It looked if you were underneath it, it would be that. And I had fluorescent lights inside it, you know, because it, I needed that for certain scenes. Um, but it was it was built onto a frame at the back, upstage, with a bunch of hinges. So there was some wood involved at the back to get to get these hinges in there. Um, and so at the end of the uh, second last scene, there was a blackout, and actually the theme, the Strawberry Fields theme came on, mm-hmm. you know, Beatles thing. 
And during the blackout, it lowered down to the floor because it was held to the grid with two lines Mm -hmm. through pulleys and uh, counterweighted. Mm -hmm. And it lowered to the floor and somebody ran on in the dark and unhooked the two cables and boom, and the lights came up and it was gone. (laughs) This huge thing that had been dominating the theater. And it was a rake that went from um, right downstage and, you know, by the toes of the audience Mm -hmm. Uh, upstage, uh, it was probably about eight feet uh, upstage at wow. the back. And, and it, it became this. And, yeah. It was this big rake. Yeah. And we had painted it to look like a kind of a, you know, grassy hillside with, you know, like a few flowers and yeah. stupid things. Yeah. Right, right, right. And the last scene was played on that, on that rake. That's terrific. Yeah. Um, you won three doors that year. Oh, my God. I know. All at once. Night. Strawberry Fields, and Refugees, apparently. That was in 1981. Oh, you know what? I think I might have won one Dora for all three. Oh, they were all part of... They I, were all I, I think, it, yeah, and then they changed the rules or something. That, that, oh, so they're so awarding that, you, not the production or something. I think that that might have been that year, and they said, oh, that's not fair, you know. So, in other words, you can only vote for one. So, if I had three nominations in the following year, say, right. I would be going against myself if you like oh yeah okay. in other words i could only be win for one i could only win for one right there was there was an, an outcry right well, come on it's a body of work <laughs> <laughs> it should be a posthumous word that's right I well that was that was the first year for the for the doors in 81 right so they were still figuring stuff out they were working it out <laughs> yeah. yeah okay uh i'm just gonna go let's just you know what before we i want to get on to uh yeah <clears throat> Excuse me. I want to get on to uh, the uh, to video cab, um, but I, want, I just want to get your your take on a couple things before we get there. Sure. Um, the uh, mm. I, I did want to talk about, and this is again just a small story. Um, mm. In a, and I uh, the reason I was curious because I don't think this has been done ever since in eighty four. Um, just back on the Doras, mm-hmm. they they passed on. They called. I guess the, they had they had shot the Doras for TV previously, so people could come in and actually set up cameras inside to, to tape the event. Mm-hmm. And there was a bit of it became very awards show boring. Let's see, like, yeah. yeah. And so they decided to bring in Urjo Kareda and Richard Greenblatt <laughs> to direct. I remember that, and and I designed. Yeah, and you designed it. What was, and that was at the Palais Royale. It was, it was at was the like, Palais Royale. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about how that came about. How 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 did it work out? Like, did it? It was it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It was a great party, but uh, it was awful. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> well, I think it was awful from from the comfort. What it was, we we set up the room with uh, with a stage and some screens, and we had slideshow, rear projection slideshow of, mm-hmm. you know, of the award things and all that, you know, and lighting. Gah, 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 gah. But the people, the poor folks, they were set at these long, long, long tables right. that were set uh, perpendicular to the stage, and they went all the way back. And people were chock a block, jam, 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 with folding chairs. Right. And that's their little meal thing. So I did the tables and the table decorations and a lot of crepe paper and, you know, napkins. And mm-hmm. so the party and the food, it was all there in one place. Right. And um, I don't think, I don't think it, I, I didn't know what it was a great party. 
I had fun. Mm-hmm. I was busy. I was doing something. <laughs> right. And I don't think I was even nominated that year, which was good. Right. So, um, yeah, but I think it was unpopular because of the, uh, the room, uh, was probably wasn't even air conditioned. So it might've, this, might've been a little, yeah, this is prior to the uh, renovation of Pellet. It was kind of run oh, yeah. down at that oh, point. Yeah. 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 It was a, it was an old dance hall. Right. Yeah. It was, it was rustic. Right. And Richard uh, did a bunch of, wrote a bunch of skits for it or something. He had a bunch of like six actors on yeah, stage. Yeah. Uh, well, I was backstage running slide projectors, so um, I didn't see much of the show. Right. Okay. And then after the show, I partied like, you know, sure. I just partied. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I, uh, that's why it wasn't done again, I guess. It wasn't be... ever done like that again. Right. I think theater uh, should be in a theater. Right. Yeah. Yes. As opposed no. to a... <clears throat> A home, you know, an, an old room with uh, pigeons smell and yeah. Mm. <laughs> right. All right. So speaking of cardboard, now that we've sort of laid your kind of uh, beginnings in that, let's talk about video cab. Um, sure. And this is Michael Hollingsworth and what's his partner's name? Diane, uh, Diane, Diane Taylor. Diane Taylor. Yeah. So Michael Hollingsworth, Diane Taylor started video cab uh, and w- they did this to produce the history of the village of the small huts. That was their first work, wasn't it? Oh no, 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 no. There were um, there were other productions. Uh, you may recall that uh, Diane and the uh, the sisters actually ran for mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was before that, right? They they did Patty rehearsed before that. Patty right. rehearsed, I think, was more of a Diane Taylor mm-hmm. uh, production. So they were. Um, I think they agreed among themselves to, okay, you do one, then I'll do one, then you do one, then I'll do one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael's turn, uh, I think he did a couple of others before. I can't even remember whether I worked with him and mm-hmm. whether the first time I worked with him was at, uh, I was involved with, with something at Video Cab before the histories. Mm-hmm. And I, I just can't remember which it was or sure. what it was, what production, uh, or indeed what I did. Yeah, I might have run a camera or something, who knows, or right. decorated a gym. You know? right, right, exactly. But Michael came to me with this uh, four-part play series, uh, starting with New France mm-hmm. and then going up to uh, the present day. There were going to be four productions, and would I design the set and lights for him? And I said, sure, absolutely. Uh, I had been thinking about another, an idea that I had had, which when I, when I was working on another production as a set designer, not as a lighting designer, but this involved lighting. So I put that on the side of my, uh, drawing board and said, I'm going to wait for the next opportunity to use this. And the idea was to try to, uh, eliminate, uh, spill. So you wanted to light a, a shot glass on a table and, and, and the director said, I just want to see that shot glass. And you put a little pin spot on it, but you can also see the table and you can see someone, there's someone sitting there. And can you get rid of that spill? So we invented this thing called beam stop, which was a dream, like these special lights that had beam stop, but uh, couldn't figure out how to actually make lights stop. Right. But if you build a box and you poke a hole in the box, like a pinhole camera, idea and you put a light outside that box you'll get a little shaft of light in that box Mm -hmm. so that was the idea so for the first histories which was new france uh in the back space at theater pass we built a very large uh, cardboard box uh 
out of, uh, it wasn't triple wall, it was actually the honeycomb, which is a honeycomb uh, material, about an inch and a half or two inches thick with craft paper on either side. So we built this box, poked holes in the ceiling. I think there were, uh, at that time, I think there were only five holes because it was a small space. Mm-hmm. But we had a few dozen lights uh, poking through those holes at various angles. And we had a couple of holes on the side walls as well. And we had an entrance at the upstage and uh, I think two entrances on uh, either side. Um, they were actual cardboard doors mm-hmm. on the sides, as I recall. And they were later replaced with curtains and da, 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 double set of curtains. But it was, it was great. I, uh, we worked the actors, uh, <laughs> the poor actors, to the bone because if they didn't, we had glow tape on the floor, of course, and for scene 97, um, which was probably 30 seconds long and had uh, a page of dialogue, and most of the scenes were like a half a page or a page long, um, as far as dialogue was concerned, and blackouts in between, um, they had to hit their mark or they couldn't be seen. Mm-hmm. You could be a foot away and you'd be invisible. Right. Because of this, this beam, there'd be a little spot on the floor, perhaps, if you noticed it. Yes. Um, but, but the entire inside's covered in black commando or something, right? Like the Everything thing. was painted black. This was just black paint just at black that paint. time. Okay. Yeah. We <clears throat> later evolved to doing something a little lighter because it was all cardboard before and, mm-hmm. uh, and that all changed to, uh, to drapes, mm-hmm. to, uh, oh, I see. to fabric, right. you know? but you can get a blacker black than you can with paint. Yeah. Um, but we worked, we did tech for three weeks because I said to Michael, yes, but this idea will require me to be in rehearsal. We'll have to build the set and do the light, the relight. And when you start rehearsing, I'll be there. Was that an unusual thing? I think these days, totally designers in early is not that unusual, but, but, you know. But to actually work on the stage where you're going to be performing, Mm -hmm. that is unusual. Right. Um, I mean, it was a luxury. And I I said, this is really the way Europeans uh, work, is that you build the set, and then you call the actors in, they work on the set, and you develop the entire uh, design based on actual working. You don't mm-hmm. work in a rehearsal hall and then suddenly have uh, a couple of 12-hour days to work the actors and the tech together. Mm-hmm. This was working the tech and the actors together at the same time from the beginning. Why do you think that's not done here? Why do you think we it's work expensive. in the opposite way? Right. In other words, you have to tie up the space for three weeks right. if, you're, if you're rehearsing yeah. uh, for three weeks before your first preview week or something right. um, and renting space I guess that was it but I was the associate artistic director of Theatre Passe and controlled the space right <laughs> <laughs> that has an advantage so yeah and, and it was it was an experiment and but we worked um, Clark and I we worked a couple of productions that way where we we built the space we rehearsed on it and and then presented the play. Mm-hmm. Um, economics doesn't it doesn't make much sense, but it it, it should be done. Mm-hmm. You know? Makes a difference. And so that four part uh, series I became twenty one parts, <laughs> something like that. I you know it was a it was a hit. Mm-hmm. Okay, that New France was a hit, 
Uh, it was packed out, and you know, I guess there were only 70 seats there, but it was packed out every night, and it might even have been held over, and it looked great, it was funny, people enjoyed it, so it, it was a hit. Mm-hmm. Um, there, were, there were flaws in it, but as a first crack, I think it's been rewritten uh, quite a lot since mm-hmm. those days. Um, yeah, so it... I guess he loved writing, and there was a lot to say, and so he just kept writing. Mm-hmm. So that that one play became two, and then, then uh, another play became four, because there's so there was just so much material. Yeah, and we did World War One, World War Two, and I I lost count on how many I did, but I think I did them right up to the very end. Mm-hmm. And now what uh, is happening? They're in they're in uh, remount. Uh, and I think that's one of those plays that can run forever and ever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do them for television. Sure. I wanted to get it, get them recorded. I mean, video cabaret. Yeah. You know? And I also introduced video into them, which Michael had never done before. It was more of a Deanne thing. She, mm-hmm. you know, used to come on stage with uh, with her actors literally carrying cameras mm-hmm. with lots of screens and TV sets all over the place. And so that was sort of the video cabaret element. And I worked with Alan Bridal, who worked with video as well, and a couple of productions, Last Man, I think was the name of one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but we introduced video uh, into it. I got a big, huge piece of uh, insect screen and hung it up in the front and uh, gave it a, a slight gray tone and had video projection from the front from the back from you know it was you know but fun to play yeah that's yeah, an yeah. incredible thing now you told me before that your reaction to many times when you when you uh when you get to the opening night of any of most productions you sort of watch the show and you go oh, i forgot that i forgot that or i should have done that better mm. what was your reaction to video cab to that yeah i mentioned that earlier um because I was so intimately involved in the entire rehearsal process and I, you know, it's like I had blinders, not blinders on, but I was very focused mm-hmm. because, you know, every eight hour session we would be lighting and we started at the beginning of the play and we went right through it. And then we would run bits and run bits and we would fix them and da 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 But there was a lot of, um, it was a lot of tech. Mm-hmm. 500 lighting cues, I think, in the hour and a half. Which is, uh, which is, which is a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot for the backspace to pass Mariah. I mean, the tech. Yeah. The uh, you're, it's all manual board, right? Yeah. In this in this case, we it was manual. This this first production. After the ones later, uh, we put them on, we put it on a computer on an Apple IIe right. um, to to make it more doable. Mm-hmm. So a stage manager could do it. Mm-hmm. But we needed an operator, but. Uh, I'd already worked with Harant Alianak on Lucky Strike, and Lucky Strike had 550 cues uh, on a manual two-scene preset board. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I knew how to whip people. Right. <laughs> right. People who would say, I can't do this. Right. There are 15 cues in the first 30 seconds. I said, yeah, you can do it. We'll just work it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember talking to David James, who did, Dave, uh, yeah. who did the production at Factory. And all we, I mean, when you sat close enough to the booth, all you heard was the faders, slam, slam, <laughs> slam, slam. And he... He was amazing. Never looked up. Like, he just did... Go, go. Just go, go and then the go. beginning and the end, that's all it was. Right? I don't know how he did it. It was great, though. It was a brilliant production. I would implode. 
<laughs> but anyway, as, as to answer your question, when I when I when we were going to run the, the full production, the full play uh, for the first time, like from beginning to end with costumes, uh, and I sat in the house and I saw it really for the first time because I just seen it in bits and pieces, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in detail work. I was amazed. I was, um, well, I, I think to say I was, I was pleased and, and proud it would be um, an exaggeration, but it was the first time I'd ever said, oh my God, that's really good work. It doesn't always happen in theater, <laughs> rarely, that you can say, that's a finished piece of work. Mm. You know, we got it this time. Because, you know, you, you can always fiddle, you can always, oh, you could do more, oh, look at that, look at that awful lighting cue. I mean, you could, you could tweak that and make it look, you know, very special or take a whole new take on it and, and try another thing. But you run out of time. Because, you know, you had 400 lights to focus and you had four hours to do it and you had uh, two eight-hour sessions to light the piece and then you're up and running with previews and you're not allowed to talk to the board operator during previews unless right. you have a private connection. Right. But, uh, yeah. But that was... And I think a lot of it came from the fact that um, I'd had three weeks mm-hmm. of, of lighting tech. Right. You know? Yeah. Because everything was done with lights. Because it had to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How was the you uh you did the set and lighting and then Astrid Jensen did the costumes. Costumes, right? And the props. I don't know whether she did the first uh I'm not sure whether she was involved with the first uh production. I think she came in a little later. Um Shadowland was and uh, Shadowland did the props and costumes mm-hmm. as far as I remember on the first one mm-hmm. and maybe even the second one. Um, Astrid came in later. How much did this space? I mean, you had the idea of the black box, yeah, uh, and you and you found the perfect application for it. How much does the environment of the theater um, affect your choices for design? For example, if it wasn't in the backspace of Passmerai, and you were at the Factory Lab, or you were at a larger venue, how would that have changed? the design or would it have? I think the basic concept uh, for the play, uh, because there were so many scenes and they were very short scenes and they were all punctuated with blackouts, like two second blackouts in between scenes. Um, That was the pattern that was set. Um, When you go into any space, uh, the space, uh, you know, puts obligations or limitations on what you can do. Um, but you know, every production we did, whether it was in, uh, the main space at Passamurai or factory lab or the theater center, all used the same principle and always had a, um, a ceiling, a full ceiling, uh, with holes that the lights came through. Mm-hmm. So that was the, that was the theme. That never changed, although the the number of holes, the number of lights, and all that, <laughs> yes, it changed. Mm-hmm. The, the basic shape of the stage. For uh, World War One, I, I think, we introduced uh, an actual trench halfway through the stage, so mm-hmm. people could you know be in a trench. In other words, actors would be below the stage level just with their heads poking up. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were different elements. Some had rakes, some had steps, 
you know, some had a combination of steps and rakes and trenches. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, you, you play, but the basic black box remained right. Uh, a black environment. And, and not everyone had a scrim at the front. Is that right? They were added. The, the scrim thing was added. Um, I think it was after world war two. Okay. Right. That makes and sense. I, and I, whether it was, um, for Trudeau, I'm not sure. I know it was there for Trudeau. It might have been the one before. But I don't have the chronology in front of me, so I... Yeah. Yeah. But the scrim was an added thing. And, and video projections, um, well, they came before the scrim. We started using a bit of video, um, but... Yeah. And that was live video. It wasn't playback? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a combination, actually. Oh, okay. It was a combination. With, with Trudeau, it was all live. Right. It was cameras. I think we had three cameras and... Uh, one projector and a screen in the back. And that was, I guess, to present the media as a, another character? Not so much, no. There was, there was, a mean, there, there was some, some of that, you know, like as in a television announcement. But again, that was all done live mm -hmm. because we had a little booth backstage mm -hmm. where we had a camera set up so you could light a head, a talking head, mm -hmm. and put them on a screen. Either the front screen or the back screen or both. And we had camera in the front of the house and a camera in the back of the stage so that we could photograph the backs of people and put them on the front in right. combination with the fronts of people put on the back. So you would actually be filming uh, the people behind the scrim but in the context of the same scrim and put so it would be like almost a feedback loop. So, right. you know, there, right. was, there was some fun little plays. That's excellent. So let's talk, let's just shift over to the native earth theater. You had a long history working with the native is the native. Yeah. Let, me, let me just make sure I get my, uh, my, my facts straight here. The native, which was first the native earth productions or native Canadian center or the native same? Canadian center on, uh, was it Bloor and Spadina? Mm -hmm. I think, uh, hosted the formation of the, the the theater production group. I see. Okay. So I think the center came first, right. and then the theater came afterward. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure of that. Right. And I, how did you get involved with them originally? I was asked to design a piece. Yeah. What um, What was amazing? Uh, my first experiences was working with native actors who many of them had never been near a stage before mm -hmm. uh, and many of whom English was not their mother tongue. Mm -hmm. It was Cree or Ojibwe or something. Um, it was, uh, with a smile on my face, I'll say it was embarrassing because it was so amateurish mm -hmm. or it felt so amateurish because oh, they can't speak. I can't, because I, I was working with trained trained actors sure. you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. um but it really started to click mm -hmm. it really started to grow on me and i started to realize that there was there's a there's a level there's a cultural level of humor there which i had never experienced before mm -hmm. um and it was it was new 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 stuff new stuff that had been written uh and mostly by um uh native people mm -hmm. um and then then came uh, Thompson Highway. Yeah. 
Right, the great playwright. And uh, Larry Lewis as a director. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people from, from Manitoulin Island, Gloria Eshkabach and uh, Graham Greene. Mm-hmm. And, oh, the, the list goes on. Tom. And, wow. There was a connection. Uh, uh, this may be completely irrelevant, but there, there was a connection, I know, between Paul Thompson and Manitoulin as well. Uh, was there... Was this, did this come later, or was that connected to this kind of flow of ideas between the two places? Or the I, I'm not sure. Uh, you'd have to check with Paul about that connection, but I know Theater Pass Marai um, began a program of incubating other theaters mm-hmm. in the same way that Paul approaches putting on a play or, or creating a play as a collective creation. He plants a seed, which is basically an idea in the minds of a group of actors. Mm-hmm. And I know that that extended not just to his playmaking, but right across the country by seeding. I think they were called seed shows, in fact. Right, yeah. Where, where Pass Marai would, uh, like an arts council in a way, would give some cash to a group in Saskatoon. He might very well have uh, done some seating on Manitoulin Island. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, let's talk about that. That, That's, that's even, uh, that's, that's probably my first theater. Yeah. Before, even before Toronto Dance Theater. Yeah. Um, Working with Frank Massey, who I would call my uh, my first mentor in theater and theater lighting, he had been working with uh, the uh, the beginning of uh, Toronto Dance Theater. But the Global Village was actually built as a theater for the production of one production called Blue SA because mm-hmm. they couldn't get it produced. No one wanted to touch it, and it was Elizabeth Swerdlow and Robert Swerdlow. And I don't know where they got the money, but they built the theater and we built it. You know, Frank and I and Keith and a few other people literally built a theater mm-hmm. for one production. And after that production, which, you know, was sort of, that was when they landed on the moon. So you can check that date. Right, yeah. I was in the booth running sound when they were landing on the moon right, that for was, Blue SA. Yeah. Anyway, there was nothing planned after it. And there was a winter coming, mm-hmm. so we started running movies. Oh, okay. And we ran, I mean, ran King Kong for a while, ran da, 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 just to try to keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. Um, Where was the theater built? It was. It was. Um, it was in the laneway. Um, let's see, uh, what Saint Nicholas Street, and you know where Sutton Place is mm-hmm. on Bay. Uh, so it's sort of behind Sutton Place. Right. It was in a big, huge warehouse uh, space. Um, we did the Fut Festival there. Da, 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 da. But what I was going to tell you, which is really talking about the Royal Alex, we, I, I went to my, I went and saw my very first show of female impersonation at a gay club mm-hmm. uh, with a gay friend, and I said, "Wow." why don't we do something like this? You know, because this is like, you know, we got to decorate the gym and put on a show because we're going to turn off the heat and the light if we don't do something. So we started talking that up and that's what we did. And we did a show called Facade Mm -hmm. with no E because they were guys. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
um, Mr. Mervish came to see it, and he booked it into the Royal Alex. Oh, my God. So that, that might have been one of the first shows that came from the so-called uh, alternate fringe <laughs> into the Alex. I mean, right. we put Maggie and Pierre in there later, and da da da. da. But I wanted to mention that because that, that was um, that was a fun thing. Yeah. How long did that uh, run for? It ran for a good month. Uh, I, I just uh, I helped to produce it and get it up and running. But then I went off to Saskatchewan to shoot a film on an Indian powwow. Mm -hmm. um, so I wasn't around. Uh, in that exciting time when suddenly Robert and Elizabeth flew back from Montreal, from New York and said, okay, we've got a big show. <laughs> and uh, Mervish put up some cash and so made it. That's terrific. Made a big show. I think the, the Global Village was, uh, you know, my part of my education or the beginning of my education in, in, in theater, what mm. theater was to me anyway. Mm -hmm. you know, I attended theater when I was a kid a lot, you know, saw my dad on stage. Yeah. He wasn't an actor. No, you know he was a candy bar salesman, right? And a taxi driver, and a few other things. Mm -hmm. Speaking of film, yeah. I, I, you were still doing some film projects throughout all the time, all yeah. the time, eh? Yeah, yeah, um, a little bit here and a little bit there. Feature films, I, you know, done uh, half a dozen features as production designer. I mm. think I'm called. Okay. Yeah, okay. I brought in theater people. Right. Yeah, sure. Drove them all mad, <laughs> but these people I knew, and they, I, I knew what they could do, and they, and, and they worked. And we did impossible things for us for very little. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, the ADC. You were around at the beginning of the ADC. Yep, with yep. Sholem Sholem Dolgoy. Uh, what can you tell me about how that started? I understood in someone's basement their idea sort of came about. Was was I was told? But what was? It was either the, a basement or a bar, right? Yes. You know, there's only, there's only two possibilities. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Maybe it was a ba <laughs> bar in a basement, right? Um, well, I know Sholem and I talked about um, we talked about contracts a lot, you know, because uh, as you know, like semi-senior designers, I don't think we would really be called senior designer. He was at Toronto Free. I think he was almost a resident there. Mm -hmm. And it might have been at the time when I was at Passamurai and da, 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 but I also had a freelance career and, and contracts were becoming, because usually you just sort of shake hands and say, yeah, I'll be there on Friday you know, mm -hmm. and we'll work for a couple of weeks and we'll have a show. The contracts um, started uh, becoming necessary. And for me, uh, because of the low fees that I was being offered, I put a clause in all of my contracts that, um, yes, I will accept your fee of $1,000 for designing this show, but I want, uh, in addition to that, I want the price of two tickets or one ticket or whatever you can get. I think in my, my general deal was two tickets for every performance. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like a residual. It is like... Uh, I am licensing you to show my work. Like you're paying the actors through this whole time mm -hmm. and they're being paid a living wage. And so I just would like to have a little corner. And, and Sholem also agreed with that as a principle. But selling it to theaters uh, on, a, on a scale, because we're trying to improve the lives of, hopefully, mm -hmm. improve the lives <laughs> of designers uh, coming up. Because um, a lot of them, I mean, I worked on things where I never did get paid. 
because right. I didn't have anything written down. You know, people would just say thanks. And <laughs> if I didn't bring it up, and it's a hard thing to talk about, give me my money, yeah. because you love the work, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's hard to put a value on it. But anyway, so that, that led to us putting our contracts together and um, and ADC came about. Right. Uh, but I, I didn't have that much to do with, um, you know, like signing the, the corporate papers or anything like that. So, mm. Right. And uh, so that's at the beginning. Let's just talk about your, your choice to sort of retire mm. in 99. Uh, let's see, you are... 71 now, right? Yep. So in 99, you would have been uh, in your 50s. Isn't that Freedom 55? Isn't that what we're all yeah, supposed to do? Yeah, <laughs> that's, what the, that's what the banks try to tell us. Get I'm out not, of the road. I'm not retiring when I'm 55. Freedom, Freedom 105, I think somebody <laughs> said right. yeah. But how did that come about? I mean, I mean, it's not... One of the biggest things, one of the reasons that I got out of the business was because I saw people who were in their 30s and 40s struggling mm-hmm. to <clears throat> convince people they were still relevant. Of course, all of them were, but yep. there's this kind of culture of youth or culture of new ideas. And because young companies, just because, just because of the nature of the, the, of the shape of the population of the business, there's a lot of people in their yep. 20s that work in it, and so they'll hire their friends. And uh, uh, that yep. kind of loomed over my career. Yeah, also, I, I know that the same people kept coming back to me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was what you'd call a repeat business, I guess. And mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, this is my team, and this is my team. And, you know, and I... I danced around with George Walker for a while, danced around with Harand Alianak for a while, danced around, you know, and you get these relationships. And then obviously the video cabaret with Michael Hollingsworth, you know, and many, many, many productions with him. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a, as, a, as a prelude to that, I once retired from theater uh, for a period of 18 months. Uh, I just didn't accept any more contracts. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm going to do something else. And I went to work for a company for 20 bucks an hour uh, called Greenlight. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, the, it was a computer graphics-based company. And I taught myself um, how to do computer graphics, mm-hmm. you know, animation stuff and da 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 for 18 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was very refreshing, you know. And I would do things like that to myself. I would say, okay, I'm not going to use any color in my lights mm-hmm. for the next three productions. So just like open white and just intensity and, and work with that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's keeping it fresh. And then finding new ideas and new ways and challenging yourself by introducing cardboard or introducing baby diaper material as, 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 as screens and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, but my retirement came that uh, I was saying to myself, okay, I've been working for other people basically uh, for my whole career. Somebody writes a play. I didn't write it. Somebody is producing it. I'm not producing it. Uh, I'm being hired on to basically perform a function, which is fine. And I had a great career and I loved it. But I want to do something for myself. And I'm not a playwright. Right. <laughs> and I probably make a lousy producer. Um, I don't know how much success I had at Theatre Passamurai when I was, you know, sort of in that semi-role, but uh, some, but not 100%. So I'd had, uh, you know, we all have dreams, and one of my dreams was to build a sailboat, sail around the world. You know, we all have that mm-hmm. dream similar to that. And the other one was to uh, build a house from scratch somewhere. Mm-hmm. Where? Who knows? I don't know. 
But as we we mentioned before, I'd been going to Jamaica, and I just fell into a a Jamaican hole. You right. know, the friends of mine, who Jamaican uh, friends, who actually were educated here in Toronto, but had gone back to uh, make their fortune in Jamaica, had bought land in this particular place, and um, I was down with my daughter. Uh, for March break one year, and uh, we went and looked at uh, their land that they bought, and they said, "Oh, that's really nice." And we saw an acre of land, and it was on it was up for sale in this development to be a gated community, and I bought it mm-hmm. just like that. Put down fifty grand, and said, "Oh, I said, oh my God! Now what am I going to do?" Right. So, um, so I built it. I built a four thousand square foot house with a swimming pool and two or three other buildings on the property. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's been fun. 15 years. Yeah. That's a while. And you've been doing other, other small projects or other projects. In yeah. And, there, right. Uh, yeah. Well, I built a theater here at Arcadia. Uh, I've, I've done lighting uh, both here and for some other smaller productions, a uh, little bit of set design. I did a, an award show for the CBC. Um, but, you know, I'm not looking for work. My shingle isn't out. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that Jamaica is is sort of uh, approaching the finish line, uh, I could say. Uh, last year was really a, a finish and furnish year. Mm-hmm. And you're never done. So mm-hmm. I'm probably never going to be done. But now I'm starting to look around saying, so what am I going to do for the next uh, period of my life? I mean... God forbid, say I have another 25 years. Sure. Yes. <laughs> what, uh, what kind of electric wheelchair will I be using? <laughs> hydraulic lifters on it. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I do love the theater and I do love uh, playing. And that's really one of the reasons I built this little space downstairs because I know I can go in there and play anytime mm-hmm. I want if there's something to play with right. or someone who wants to play. I'm going to ask you about one more thing. Sure. Uh, and this has to do with about nothing sacred at the factory. Mm-hmm. Um, you designed it yep. when it went into the winter garden. Did you just yep. design the whole thing? Were you the designer throughout the process of nothing sacred? Like it was produced someplace else first, wasn't it? Yeah. I can't remember. I can't remember where, but it went into the winter garden. Yeah, I did that. It was Diane English was producing and mm-hmm. George F. Walker. And it was a um, quasi factory theater production or maybe it was an independent i think it might have been an independent production yeah i don't know where the money came from okay because apparently they said there was a three this is what the paper said there was a three hundred sixty-five thousand dollar budget <clears throat> which seems seems appropriate i guess to go to the winter garden it's a longer run yeah right uh but they had sold shares at five thousand dollars each to this thing yeah i think i bought one and uh <laughs> there goes my fee <laughs> exactly i was gonna say um but it did it and it didn't. It was a successful production, wasn't it? At the winter, we Garden? also uh, yeah. It, would, it 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 was a good show. Yeah, it was a good show. I uh, we didn't sell out. Right. I think as a matter of fact, we 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 had a holdover, but we had to move it from the Winter Garden into the bigger theater, and then it kind of died in there. Oh, I see. Something like that. But the CBC picked it up, mm-hmm. and the CBC uh, filmed it. Oh, right. So there was some money that came in at the at the end of it mm-hmm. uh, because they they taped it 
Right. And they took the set, they took everything, and I think I got a little residual fee out of that. And uh, But that might have cleaned up the, uh, if there was deficit left, Yeah, might have helped to clean that up. That was kind of a... Diane English, Diane English would know all the details. All the details. Because I think she called me about a year after that and said, uh, hey, I got a check for 250 bucks for you right. or something like right, that. Right, 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 right. And thus ends part two of my interview with designer Jim Claxton. Next time I bring you an hour-long conversation with the lighting designer Sholem Dolgoy, so you won't want to miss that. The music for this podcast is Podsafe Music from the band 1990s called See You at the Lights. You can find them at roughtraderecords.com forward slash the 1990s. Please go to iTunes and give us a review. It'll help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at the Tuttleblock CA and on Facebook.com forward slash the Tuttleblock Podcast. You can send comments and requests by email to the Tuttleblock at gmail.com. Feel free to share this with your friends, colleagues, students, and teachers, or listen to it while you daydream about your very own trip around the world in a sailboat. I'm Michael Cruz, and I will see you next time on the Tuttleblock. Block.